Hey friends, and welcome to Own Your Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna, here to spice up your life with unfiltered conversations about my personal story of owning who I am, as well as hearing from people who are stepping out and sharing their stories. You have something so valuable to share with the world, but let me guess, you've been holding yourself back for one reason or another. Well, I hope by listening here, you can feel inspired to start owning who you are and stepping into your power. So get ready to laugh, cry, relate, and learn. Thanks so much for tuning in and let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode three of Own Your Story podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It means the world to me. We have recently reached 100 subscribers. I started this 13 days ago. I am beyond thrilled. Making these videos and hearing all of your feedback has meant so much to me and it's literally helped me understand other people navigating life around Mormonism or Christianity. It helps me understand that there's so many things that we have in common and I love making this content because I think it has opened up conversations and doors with people that I would never typically have these conversations with. So thank you so much. Please like, subscribe, follow all the things. I wanted to start out every episode now with reading a couple comments that I'm getting. Amy said, I love this. So comforting to hear my current thoughts put into words. Gab said, thank you for sharing. I was raised in the LDS faith, family converted, moved to Utah nine years ago in efforts to try to better live according to the church. I learned so much living in Utah, counted as a blessing, came to the certainty of who I was not and finally stood strongly in that. Moved out of Utah eight months ago and forever changed. I resonate with your story very much. All sounds too familiar to the T. And then one more. Hey, I started listening and realized I actually know you. I'm so happy. We've left too. Life is good. I think it's interesting because I'd never have these type of comments outside of my day-to-day here. So it feels really cool to hear people's feedback that I haven't spoken to in a while. Thank you so much. Please continue to leave comments. If you have questions too, I will try to address more of those questions. So speaking to one question, how I kind of wanted to start out the podcast is someone said, hey, you don't really talk about exactly why you left. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get to that. I wanted to talk more about my backstory because I feel like it has molded and shaped my decision to ultimately leave the church. There's kind of a lot of parts to it. So I will be addressing that in this episode. And I also wanted to talk more about after mission, moving into my relationship, meeting Zach and getting married. So this episode will be more about that. After my mission, I wanted to do everything according to what my mission presidents had said. Mission presidents are a couple who are chosen by church headquarters to lead this certain sect of young missionaries. So they're kind of like the parents to your mission group. So my, 
I had three sets of mission presidents because I served in Oregon, I served in Argentina, and this last six months of my mission in Argentina, I had another set of mission presidents. All three sets of mission presidents, I think the world of. They were all unique and wonderful people. Very accepting, very loving. So I think with them too, it was interesting to see leadership in the way that each of them kind of ran their missions. They all led differently, but you could feel the love and the genuine desire for how invested they were in helping us. And I have a lot of love and admire them to this day and their families. So the end of my mission, I ended up being transferred to another area. I went back to the original area that I had first started in. So like I talked about in my previous episode where we were playing charades, me and my mom were playing charades the entire time. I went back there and could finally talk to the people that I was never able to talk to because I didn't know the language. It was funny. I had one sister who was like, you would talk all the time before we just couldn't understand you. So it's nice that you're like still talking, but we can actually understand you. She was actually someone that we had baptized and her son, they were just the sweetest people. So nice. I have a deep love for the Argentine people. They're just the best. I ended up having my exit interview with my mission president and he kind of was like, St. George, I don't feel is your place. You need to go outside of there and find a husband to marry. So after you serve your mission, your next mission is to find a spouse and find someone to marry and someone that you feel is a good partner for you, who is also within the church. So marrying someone outside of the church was honestly never an option. Yeah, it was always frowned upon to date people outside of the church because we were taught from a really young age to keep to the faith, make sure your family grows up in the faith, and to steer clear of things that are not a part of it. A part of your same, yeah, the same way of living, your same lifestyle. So he was like, do you have a list of missionaries that you want contact information to? <laughs> kind of playing matchmaker. I gave him a couple names, went home. Nothing really happened with any of them. But when I came home, I had a friend who I had known for basically my entire life. Our families were really close. And he was in this phase where he was rebelling a little bit from church teachings and kind of going through the process of becoming more, I guess, aligned with church, the ways of the church. So he was trying to get back on track and I came back and I was like, oh, I'm going to save him. And we had always had this attraction with one another. So I came home, we started hanging out a lot. I honestly went into the relationship feeling like I needed to change him. And like any other girl who decides to do that or date a bad boy, and I do not think by any means right now that he was a bad guy. He was making certain decisions that might not have been aligned with how we were raised 
to live. So do I think that's bad now? No. I just feel like he was navigating life in a different way and that was his way of doing it and it was never my place to judge. But I did. I judged the shit out of him because coming back you have to find someone who is worthy and a priesthood holder and a provider and all the things and you know if the person that you're dating doesn't align with all of that because they're choosing to live a little bit differently then it was highly frowned upon so I wanted to get him right it was my job and that never turns out to be a healthy relationship when you go into it with that type of mindset. So looking back, I feel like our relationship would have been very different had we not been so fixated on living up to church standards because we were still doing everything a normal couple would do. We had a lot of fun together, had a lot of the same interests, but there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure for me to get married and to find a worthy priesthood holder instead of really just focusing on having a fun relationship and figuring out what we wanted to do as individual people and not having to fit this mold of you need to start thinking about how you're going to marry this person it was always the fixation of young girls living up to this purity culture thing where like you have to really align with being worthy and being whole and being virtuous so someone will marry you. All of that emphasis was on you need to show up for other people. It was never like, hey young women, what do you guys want to do with your lives? Instead of being a homemaker and a childbearer and supporting your husband and his vocation, what do you want to do? That was never really emphasized at all within my upbringing and within church culture it's a very traditional way of thinking and living so navigating that relationship we were still doing the same things that any couple would do inside or outside of the church there's a lot more shame around it though when you're in the church because there's this expectation that you have to be whole and virtuous and clean and when you're a young adult navigating romantic relationships that's gonna be normal to have that desire to connect in a sexual way. So long story short, we ended up doing all the same things that any normal couple would do. And that shame and guilt ate us alive. It ate me alive because it was like, I'm a return missionary. I taught people to not do this and I'm doing it. I'm a hypocrite. And it also put so much strain on our relationship because it was always like, you need to do better. We need to be better. We can't be bad. We can't do this. Instead of just focusing on connecting through experiences and not having all this pressure to live up to these unrealistic standards. So long story short, we ended up breaking up. I actually, it was so full of shame and guilt that I ended up going to the stake president. And the stake president, for those of you who don't know, he is in charge of all of the church leaders in your area. So you live in one area and then your 
stake president is above the rest of the bishops in that area. So within a stake are several wards. So when you do something like me, something contrary to your beliefs, and you were a return missionary, so you already like made sacred covenants in the temple, and you violate those covenants, meaning you were sinful, you had to go to the stake president because he was higher up from the bishop, and you needed to go and confess to him. And then after, you would have to go through something called a disciplinary council. And let me tell you, a disciplinary council is absolutely humiliating. <laughs> I say that because wow I, I'll kind of more into that so after I met with the stake president I was on the phone with this guy in the parking lot and I said we need to stop because this is not a good relationship we are not good for each other everyone all of our friends too were telling us that you guys are not good for each other and I look back and what did that actually mean like were we not good for each other because we were sinning and people knew about it? Like everyone was always judging other people's relationships. And me, that's invasive, but that was kind of how it was. Like you find out someone's doing the same shit that you are, and then we're going to judge them instead of turning inward. I feel like the dating culture within the church has always been that way. So I called him, said we really need to end things. And we had been really on and off for a while, too. That's kind of our whole relationship. So ended up breaking things off, went into the stake president, had the conversation with him. And he was like, you know, this is really serious. You could be excommunicated for this. You've got you to do a lot of work to get right with God again, basically. And so I was like, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. I want to be good again when... All along, I was good. I just was taught that I was not. So, yeah, kind of going, I'll go more into that after. But it's kind of this, along the same lines of like, always needing to hustle for your worthiness. You know, like, you won't be accepted by God unless you do X, Y, and Z. And if you sin, you got to get right. Where I'm like, is it sinning? Is it really sinning when that's a natural part of any adult relationship? I don't feel like it is now. However, at that time, I did. And so I went in, had the conversation with him. When you have the conversation with your state president, he says you need to set up something called a disciplinary council. And a disciplinary council is where you go in with church leaders and your bishop and you confess and answer any questions that they have. And then they decide how worthy you are. Meaning you can't enter the temple. You're either excommunicated, which means they literally say you are no longer worthy to be a member of God's church, which is humiliating. So I met with the stake president. The next day, Zach asked me out. He lived in the same um housing complexes us so he asked me out I'm like I am not right with the Lord trust me you don't want me I'm a harlot like go and find someone else we went on one date and I was like he's wonderful but 
I'm not worthy for him. And I told him, you need to date other people. We can't date right now. <laughs> he starts dating other people. He comes back and is like, it's just not the same. I just feel something different with you. So I'm gonna wait for you, my sinful ass. So he was so kind. <laughs> And if you guys know Zach, he is just the cream of the crops and super genuine. So he supported me through my whole repentance process. And the day of my disciplinary council, he actually waited outside. So in the disciplinary council, it is you sitting on a chair in front of three or four different people. So for me, I was sitting in front of my bishop, who I love. He's awesome. And he was one of the bishops that I had a really good connection with. Some of the leaders, it's kind of hit and miss. Some of the leaders really care about you. But either way, I don't really agree with how the disciplinary council went out. So basically, I sat in front of the bishop. He came with two leaders from the stake or the high council, whatever it's called. And then there was also a scribe. So the scribe was sitting there writing down every single thing. <laughs> the only person that I had somewhat knew up until this point was the bishop. I did not know anybody else, which is really interesting to think back on because it was weird that I would be confessing sexual things, explicit things, to these men that I've literally never met. And then one of them is writing down every detail of my sex life. So... You start out with a prayer in the disciplinary council, and then they kind of start firing questions. They ask you what your story is, why you're there, what you are needing to repent of, and then they ask really, really explicit things. Where did you commit the sin? Where did you have sex? Why? When did you? How many times did you enjoy it? Were your garments on when you did? Like all these things. And as a return missionary, I was like, I've got to tell them everything because I want to get right with God. And I also, this is humiliating. So I don't want my parents to know or any of my family knowing. So like, I have got to make sure that I'm repenting of all of it and like wiping my slate clean. So like, I don't get in trouble with my family and I don't bring down the family name or make them look bad. Growing up, it was always about that. Don't do things to make us look bad. So I was like, I've got to get right, you know? And looking back, I don't really believe in a higher power the same way that I did. Like going through these experiences, it was very much like, oh my gosh, I have to hustle for my worthiness. I have to live up to these standards. And I was proving time and time again that I sucked at living the right way. I was always messing up. I was always making mistakes. So the disciplinary council, after they were done asking me all these questions, I had the opportunity to bear my testimony, telling them how much I really did want to repent and be better. And then they did a little huddle and I sat up there and they would tell you how worthy you were or not to receive God's love. And it would kind of depend on what they said, the punishment. So they met, it was like, hey, 
you know, it's, we think that you need to be on probation from not going into the, into God's house, which is the temple. The LDS temples are the big buildings that are in a lot of like the major cities that the Mormon church has been known for, their temples. So you can't go into there for however much time they said. They told me six months. When you have sex, it's usually a year. And sometimes you get excommunicated. So I was so terrified that I was going to get excommunicated because the stake president was like, you could be excommunicated. So I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm excommunicated, I'm going to make my family look so bad. I'm going to look like a whore and it's going to be awful. So fast forward, they say six months, Zach and I are starting to date and build a relationship. He helped me navigate my repentance process. So I couldn't take the sacrament, which is the bread and the water every Sunday for a while. And I think it was for like four months. We would read scriptures and pray together and he would try so hard to help me get on the straight and narrow path. I would probably have never confessed to anybody about any sexually explicit detail. And another one being like, I don't agree that disciplinary counsels should happen. And I say that because being a young girl, having to confess very explicit details to men that I didn't even know and having one guy writing down all my sexual stuff the entirety of the meeting was very humiliating. So I believe in God in a different way. The God that I believed in before was very conditional based. Like if you do X, Y, and Z, if you are always obedient, if you go to church every single Sunday, if you don't ever drink coffee, if you don't ever drink alcohol, you can, but you also need to go through the repentance process. And if you don't do that, then you can't be accepted into my kingdom and you can't live with me again. And all these things I'm like, damn, to me, that's like super hard to live up to. And I don't feel like that type of relationship is healthy in any sense. Like you, I think the main reason, so getting back to that first question of why I left the church, I think the main reason why I left the Mormon church is because I felt like I was constantly hustling for my worthiness. It was always a hustle. It was a hustle with my family. It was a hustle with church leaders. It was a hustle growing up in purity culture. And if I showed my shoulders, if I didn't wear my garments, if I didn't pray enough that day, or if I didn't do enough, it always felt like I needed to do and be better. And you think about it, the more I've been doing therapy and inner work, I read a lot of self-help books, and in a lot of them it kind of talks about building trust in yourself again and understanding what types of relationships you are navigating. And I think when it comes to the church, when people leave, it can feel like it's a plethora of things. I think 
when you are a member and you're in the church and you're taught about people who leave, it's like, oh my gosh, they left because they just wanted to sin. They wanted to live in the world. They didn't want to live up to church standards. People think it's an easy choice when it feels like, for me, and other people can experience something different, but for me, it felt like I was experiencing betrayal trauma. I was told so many things, and the more you kind of look into it, the more you understand how your relationship to self has been damaged by certain topics the church teaches, you feel a sense of betrayal. And betrayal trauma is devastating to experience and feel, especially when you are taught and told your whole life that people leave for way different reasons, and then you decide to leave however you want to leave. It feels really isolating, and it's disheartening to see people who have stayed in the church talk about people leaving. The reason that I wanted to share my story is to help people who are navigating a faith transition or a faith crisis. I've seen lately people saying it's the trendy thing to do. And that I think is hard to hear as someone who's left because I devoted 27 years of my life to this church and it was not an easy decision to leave. It's actually quite devastating because you do feel like you're experiencing PTSD, betrayal trauma is a big one. Like you feel a sense of betrayal when you leave the Mormon church because you were told so many things. And then as you start to have conversations with people who left or get different perspectives, things kind of start to make sense to you and you're like, whoa, what? <laughs> it's interesting to think of this because People who choose to stay will stay for their own reasons. And who am I to judge them? You know, I want people to be able to share their experiences. I've made this podcast so I could interview people navigating their own life experiences. And I want this to be an inclusive place for members, for non-members of the Mormon faith, for people who have navigated a completely different life than me. And I think there's a lot to learn from everyone. And I, I want to be more accepting and open-minded of all people. I've been seeing lately that people are saying like, it's a, it's a trendy thing that people are wanting to leave. And I'm like, is that what the church is saying? Is that what is being taught in church? Because if it is, that's really... That's like an interesting way of kind of discrediting people's personal decisions. And a lot of the times those decisions to leave came with a ton of heartache and a lot of rebuilding and a lot of understanding how to navigate and find a new identity and navigate life in a completely different way. So I think to me sharing my story, if you feel like this has been something you can relate to, please share how you feel. If you're a member and have questions, please reach out to me too. If you're a member and you disagree, please reach out. Let's talk about this stuff. Nobody wants to talk about this stuff because 
we're kind of taught like don't but I think we need to I think we need to have these very real conversations and I think we can hold space for people who are navigating things and life in a different way and if we could just meet people where they're at without trying to change them without hearing their story and finding ways to discredit them like I can't listen to their story because like I don't agree with that what's wrong with listening to things that you don't agree with I think there's actually a lot of good that comes from that you learn to think about things in a different way you become more open-minded I actually had a friend who I'm working with now she's editing my book and she's awesome but she was never a member of the church and we met when she was a student at BYU and she grew up Christian we had a really good friendship she was always just like one of those people so kind and genuine and this last week we had a really good conversation and it's interesting thinking back on this moment or on these moments and on my relationship prior to me meeting Zach because in those times when I was sinning she was a non-member and I remember calling her and talking to her about my sins and she's like you were in so much pain but I also felt like we were able to connect on a deeper level and then I ghosted her and I didn't talk to her one because I felt like I've got to be a better example to her and I can't show her that I'm acting out of alignment with my beliefs I need to be a better example than her or to her and like I I didn't know how to navigate that friendship because we were never really able to meet on a deeper level because of me I was unwilling to really meet her where she was at it was always like well why aren't you a member and it's so fun to hear her perspective because after thank goodness she forgave me <laughs> and I think too after having this conversation with her she was telling me her experience of being non-mormon with our whole peer group and how she she was telling me how she felt like without really even knowing she felt like she started to she started apologizing for her being her because it was making other members uncomfortable or other friends or her roommates or whatever uncomfortable for just her being her She's like, I didn't even really realize it or it didn't really even register to me until I started finding myself rising for things that I would that are just kind of normal, but like it made members of the church uncomfortable. So like you kind of start you want to fit in, so you start trying to fit the mold. And I've said this before, you kind of want to just fit in. You want to find your group, you want to be accepted. And her being someone who's a non-member and seeing like, hey, this is how people want me to show up. If I want to be accepted, I need to do this. So naturally it's gonna happen. And instead of members being like, not looking at her like someone who we need to change or we need to convert. It was always, I need to help her come into the fold when I'm like, 
being in any relationship, when you go into it thinking that like, you know, better for someone's life, it's probably not a healthy relationship. Me leaving the church has helped me understand my behavior patterns and seeing things that I did. I expected people to respect me because I knew the truth. I was a part of the true church. And it was really hard for me to connect with people who weren't necessarily, who didn't believe the same way I did because I thought I knew better. I thought that, you know, they were great. They're great, but like, they'll never know the fullness of the gospel. They'll never know true happiness. Who the hell was I to judge? So I think it's interesting looking back on those moments <laughs> and seeing them for what they are now. After I kind of got right with and, and did my repentance process, I ended up, Zach and I, we actually got engaged during my repentance process. So we got engaged after three months or four months of dating and we were actually trying to get married sooner, but I was a harlot and was unworthy to go into the temple because the temple is where you marry your spouse. So I was actually not worthy enough to get married sooner. So we had to wait the full six months for me to be able to get married to him. So he was so kind during the whole process, very patient with me. I look back and we definitely would have waited. We talk about this all the time too. We're like, we totally would have waited had we done things differently outside of the church. So yeah, our first couple years of marriage were, it was always centered around being a member of the church. And it was always centered around, um, yeah, we were told too, like, you need to plan your week around the temple. You need to pay your tithing, which is 10% of your monthly earnings to the church. And I remember there were so many times where it was like, we cannot afford to do that, but like, we're going to be blessed. Also, a couple of our first fights were always, we always fought about church stuff. <laughs> like we, it was the next day we got married on a Saturday. We were flying out to go on our honeymoon and Zach wanted to go to all three hours of church before we caught our flight that was like around one or two. And I was like, dude, there is no way. We're flying to Mexico. There's no way we're going to be able to make all three hours of church. He was adamant. One of our first and biggest fights up until then. We ended up driving around not even finding a church to go to and filled with guilt. He was filled with guilt and I was like, feeling bad too. Like, oh shit, we missed church. But cause yeah, missing a, one Sunday. And if you're not actively, like if you're not bedridden sick, you go to church. It's part of the commandments. So us not going and we were, you know, both were able to go. It was like <gasps> to us, like, oh my gosh, we're the worst. And it's interesting too, cause we would relate a lot of like the bad things that happened in our life to like us being unworthy or disobedient like <laughs> Zach studied on Sunday he was disobedient to like 
church teachings because you're taught to like not do your the day of rest. You're not supposed to do things or buying gas. That was another one too on Sunday. We did not buy gas on Sunday. We did not shop on Sunday. We did not, yeah, eat out on Sunday. Hell no. So a lot of these things, it was like, if we did that, it felt like the biggest sin. Like, oh my gosh, how could we have done, you know, when, because we were taught, we were taught that, like, don't you dare, like exact obedience is the way to return to God. And I think too, oh yeah, one of our other biggest fights, we were, so we live in Southern Utah and we were, we had gone to school at SUU in Cedar City, Utah. And we would, we went and visited his family that lived up past Salt Lake. We were driving back. We were to Fillmore, I think. And we were like on empty. And Zach was like, we are not buying gas. Faith will make us like, will get us to the end. And I was like, you're insane. We have to buy gas. I don't care if it's Sunday. We're going to freaking break down. He's like, Jenna, you have to have faith. <laughs> and I'm dying because like looking back at this and we've talked about it. We're just like, oh my gosh, how could we have thought that way? <laughs> but when you're like a part of a high demand religion thinking this is the only way and you saw examples of people like doing everything they could to live this way, very exact, not paying for things on Sunday. And then he was like, we're going to have, we're taught, like we're going to have faith. Ended up buying gas and we were fine. <laughs> but that was one of our biggest fights too. So crazy. It's that level of cognitive dissonance. This makes logical sense, but we have to have faith. What's more important? And at that time, it was always living in accordance to those values and those beliefs. So <laughs> I laughed so hard about that those memories because they were hilarious <laughs> and damn we have come a long way have we not so for those of you who are not members and don't really know much about the church that to you probably sounds insane and you know what your feelings are valid because they were but here's the thing at that moment in time that is how we lived that is exactly what we believed and it felt like if we do this, we will not be accepted by God. And now I know and feel very different. And looking back and reflecting on those moments because wow, we have done a lot of work to get to where we are now. And I'm really proud of that. So thank you for tuning in. If you have stayed this far, please write in the comments. I'm still here. I'd love to know who makes it through my full episodes because I know I'm always covering a lot of ground. I cannot thank you enough for supporting me and my channel and my podcast. It means the absolute world. Stay tuned for episode four. Bye guys!